Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I am your host, Aman Kusro, and I'm joined by my two, that's right, two wonderful co-hosts. They like to stride far and wide. First up, we have the OD, Zach Cachetta. How's it going, Zach? I'm doing great. I am, if, if there's three of us and we're doing the faction we're doing today, I, I will call dibs on being eagle eye. Fair enough. And I guess the... Assuming that you're Swift Far Blade of the group. Yeah. Well, I, I'm Far Strider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the fearless leader. That's right. And <laughs> Swift Blade, who is our newest addition, I'm sure you've heard his voice already. He has been a guest on the show, and he is now a official member of the Path to Glory team. We've got George, a.k.a. Kairos. How's it going, brother? Oh, it's it's been better, man. I hope we can bring some more clarity to Farstriders than I have in the air over New York. I'll say that much. Yeah, you've got some wild, wild things going on. My buddy uh, yeah. sent me a picture. So the office of, of my company I work for is in the World Trade Center. And he sent me a picture, my coworker, from the, like, I think we're on like the 70 something floor. And you couldn't see like more than like 10 feet out. It was just, it looked like red. Honestly, it looks like the inspired card art on the Far Striders, where it's just really red and orange, and you just can't see anything. It's crazy. It looks like the apocalypse. It certainly does, but things have been getting better, thankfully. And I'm happy about that, and I'm just happy and excited to be a, a full-time addition to the show. Oh, well, we are very, very happy to have you. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump into the Far Strider 2.0 review. If you're new to the show... We do have some other segments, but we're going to skip those because we're trying to focus on getting these reviews out in a timely manner. So we're going to go over the fighter cards, the objectives, the gambits, and the upgrades. We're probably going to be doing a lot of comparing to the old version of the Warband as well, which is quite exciting. But before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who supports us. If you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash path to glory. And if that's not possible, it's okay. We still appreciate you listening. And if you could give us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice that helps spread the word and get our name out there even more. So let's jump into our fighters. And we're going to start with Sanson Farstrider. Sanson Farstrider is part of Grand Alliance Order. He is a leader. He has the hunter keyword. He's got a move of four, one block, four wounds. His bolt storm pistol is range three, three fury, one damage, and on a critical hit, staggers the opponent. His shock hand axe is a range one, two smash, two damage attack. And when he inspires, which by the way, the inspire condition has been updated to this fighter has made two or more attack actions with different names in the same phase. When he inspires, he goes to two block. His Bolts and Talons attack, which I guess is a combination of his two previous range attacks that he had on his old fighter card, is a range four, three fury, one damage attack. And on a critical hit, it is blinding. This attack action has plus one damage and stagger until that has been resolved. And then, of course, his Shock Hand Axe goes to a whopping three smash, but retains the two damage. Quick little lore blurb on our fearless leader here. It is said that even if he were to find himself in the halls of the Crystal Labyrinth, Farstrider would find a way free. 
Such is his supreme talent for wayfinding. So team, what do we think about Sanson Farstrider? He's a very solid leader. I mean, he's got the, the thing that obviously Farstriders do is that they're flexible at everything. You got four wounds, you got decent defense, you got range, you got melee, and he does all of those admirably. I think it's important to talk about the new Inspire condition for people who are long for longtime players. You'll know that this is a much changed Inspire condition for people who are new players. This Inspire condition is very controllable. And as we see when we t- look at the power deck, there will be multiple ways to trigger it as well, other than just making the two actions. But even without power cards, it's a very controllable Inspire condition, which means you're going to be able to inspire Farstrider on round one if you want. And having that range for Grievous shooting attack is pretty nice to get to. I think he's a, a nice variable threat that, you know, you're going to want to get inspired Two block four wounds good shooting attack, really reliable melee attack. He kind of has it all. He's not fantastic at anything. You know, it's not the best shooting attack. It's not the best melee attack. It's not the highest wound count. But like the fact that he kind of does a little bit of everything, he's kind of your jack of all trades leader. And I think he's great. Yeah, I completely agree. Farstrider was always one of my favorites way back in season one. And he's still great. He's only gotten better. Going a three smash inspired as well as easier access to his inspired side is really really tremendous for him because even back then if you got him inspired he was a force to reckon with range four is a pretty big scary range as everyone who's had to face ephilim recently knows and when you start dropping two damage from four hexes away people notice yeah especially if you can get some rerolls on that range attack or some other way to get extra crits plus dice you can never guarantee a crit but you can somewhat improve it or if you can make multiple shooting attacks as longtime players and opponents of far starters and all they can you can really start to rack up the damage and then kind of charge in for that finishing blow i think that's always been the vibe with these guys and you can still do it just as well if not better yeah well said i definitely think range four is quite the powerful i guess range to deal damage from and allows you to deal damage and and be quite safe from rebuttal, candidly, at least from most fighters. I do think you're right, Zach, and that we do probably should talk about the Inspire. So again, the Inspire is, for the whole Warband, it's changed to this. Fighter has to make two or more attack actions with different names in the same phase. What do we think about that? You know, in the, in the past, it kind of shoehorned you into a playstyle where you only inspired if you ended the action phase in enemy territory, and then you could only inspire in the end phase. But now this allows you to inspire in the action phase itself. So obviously it's a buff to a certain degree, and it gives you a little bit more flexibility, but I really want to get your thoughts, and we'll start with you, George, on how this fundamentally improves the Warband's playstyle. I think it, it just makes them a lot more flexible. Again, people from Season 1 may recall that a big Far Strider playstyle was sitting back and exploiting the fact that they were one of the first ranged Warbands. That Far Strider was, I believe when he was released, the longest threat range fighter in the game inspired and tied for longest threat range base with Scritch, which was big because this was a meta when people tried to hide and he was he, you couldn't hide from him. Seven hexes is a big threat range or eight. So letting them access that two block and that better offensive stats without needing to put themselves in as much jeopardy early I think is, is very powerful. It gives their control defensive play styles a nice boost 
And you can still do this aggressively. And even if you're doing it aggressively and going forward, having two block before the first round is over or whatever round that you've gone forward is over is very helpful to not just get tabled for trying to inspire. Yeah, I would agree with that. It does lean into and help that defensive play style. I think I like it's, I mean, you know me, I like anything that's reliable, less dice-based. I don't like these sort of inspirations that require crits or, you know, successfuls or whatever. We've seen a number of those in recent times. And I really like that these are just kind of like, you can do it. You can always inspire if you want to. It's not always the best game plan. It's not always the best plan of attack, but it is something that you can always choose to do if you want. I think you can. A lot of times you'll see people round one, just choose to ignore one fighter and inspire the other two, you know, given that you have somebody in range for your shooting attacks, but you could also just make sure you inspire one fighter and then everyone else kind of does their own thing. So I think, I think it's good. I think it's a really solid, I think it's a really solid change and a really solid improvement to how the warband inspires. Agreed. Well said, both of you completely agree as someone who loves playing far striders and still fondly thinks about them to this day. Very excited to see how players are able to adapt. And, you know, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that this incentivizes you to bring weapons as well, right into your deck building. And what's interesting is like, yeah, you're already firing at range, but if you want to play that range game, maybe you give your fighter a, a different named range weapon, right? Or ranged attack in the upgrade pile. And that could allow you to inspire earlier. You can obviously take tried and true weapons and championship like her sporting pike and other well but then you know the options get a little bit more limited in nemesis but it's still exciting to see this change and it allows them to be more passive and more defensive obviously you're giving up that two block initially until your opponent gets into melee range but yeah i love it i'm very excited about it and i do really enjoy the fact that hunter is printed on the fighter card and i also really like how his ranged one attack is three smash. It's very, very accurate. What do we think about the stagger? Do we think that's relevant at all? Yes, because... Personally, I... Uh, I oh, go ahead. Okay, sorry I'll go. about that. <laughs> I no, think it's, okay. it's We're a, little, a little relevant. <laughs> I mean... No, I think it's relevant. I'll just start saying people's names to make it easier. So yeah. we can start with... We're learning here. We'll start with George. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have. It's definitely better than not having it. I think that for a uh, thing we didn't touch on yet, so Eagle Eye actually just has Stagger printed on his Well, we haven't card. touched Eagle Eye yet because we haven't got his fighter card yet. So Yeah. Well, let's then sticking just to Far Strider. It's it's you know relevant but in a way that I'm not super excited about because it is requiring a crit and I would like the payoff for a crit if I'm really going to try to lean on that luck to be a little bit higher. You know, Grievous is something people have to factor in. I might die if they crit. So even if they think you won't, it's more of a risk. I might be staggered. That, you know, a, a trade-off that people can accept as a bigger risk. It could matter, especially for setting up that second attack, but I don't know how often it actually will. I'm kind of the opposite. I think it is quite important just because a lot of times you're going to be shoot charging. Maybe uh, like to inspire, you will shoot charge. You'll, you'll shoot from a range and then later activation charge. And if you're trying to inspire two on round one, you're getting two chances at that crit from a range, or as as we've noted, maybe a little easier with a different fighter. So you'll like shoot with one, shoot with the other. There will be target stagger probably 
in most cases, and then you can charge in and get a pretty reliable hit that will also inspire you at the same time. I think that that's a non-zero thing to think about. And I think it's more relevant on the other side, on his inspired side, where it also gains blinding is effectively grievous plus stagger without having the grievous keyword. So then you really do want to be fishing for crits. And while stagger doesn't affect itself, it is like, it does kind of give you that option to stand there as far strider and turret range four. you know, maybe your other two are dead. It's round three, you're late game and you're just like, okay, I'm going to shoot, stagger you and, and deal plus one damage and then shoot and then get a reroll and then get a higher chance to crit again. Like it's going, I think it helps turn them into really good turrets and it, oh, turrets or follow-ups as we know. And I think that's really, really, really solid. Yeah, I like the fact that you have, obviously, if you've played Forest Riders before, they have cards that allow you to shoot again. And the deck here, as we'll get into in a little bit, give you the opportunity to fire multiple shots with the same fighter. And so I do like the idea of, you know, 40% of the time, roughly, you're going to stagger your opponent, which makes your follow-up attacks easier just, you know, to get through. Especially because the Inspire condition also relies on making different attacks, multiple attacks, quite possibly at the same fighter, but not necessary. So I like it, but let's move on. Let's go to Elias Swiftblade. He is a hunter and an assassin. Movement of three, one block, four wounds. His Boldstorm pistol is the exact same as Farce Riders. Range three, three fury, one damage, crit stagger. And his Storm Saber is a range one, three fury, two damage attack. And his mortal life, Swiftblade was a wandering duelist, a master of the sword who cut down countless champions of the dark gods when Swiftblade inspires he goes to two block and he gains cleave on his storm saber but that's really it so i guess we'll start with george in this scenario george what do you think about Swiftblade? i love the model he's always felt like a really cool pose to me and i like the sword but stats wise he does lag behind farstrider a little bit and he does I know we haven't gone there yet, but he does lag behind Eagle Eye a little bit to me. He's he's solid. He's a Stormcast Eternal. He has a respectable attack action. I think Three Swords 2 has kind of degraded in value a little bit since it was first printed on his card, but it's still reliable enough. Getting Cleave is situationally very, very important. And, uh, you know, he'll do what you need him to do, which is ideally hit someone who's two wounds early to get your glory train rolling what do we think about the assassin keyword here do we think it's relevant at all probably not there's I mean, not a lot yeah there's like one or two objectives around it but you're not going to build around your potentially weakest fighter i would say and i would say that those objectives also almost all of them have an alternate condition besides just being for an assassin the universal ones even if that alternate condition is also bad they're just, it's not, I, I don't think with what we have in the pool right now, it does all that much, especially when top of my head, the only card that is a payoff for assassins gives the keyword to all your fighters anyway, Fair which enough. is dark determination. Yeah. Well, who knows? There may be more assassin synergy in the future, but I like Swiftblade too. I think his pose is very cool. And I am happy that he got, I guess, some changes, right? The inspiration and the stagger, but otherwise he's fairly the same. And that's okay. I think it still stacks up. I think, obviously, you're right. Power creep has allowed more unique or nuanced fighters. But I guess for a starter set, it's good enough. Going to Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye is 
range three, one block, four wounds. The solemn and reserved warrior known as Eagle Eye has an almost preternatural sense for danger, which has saved the lives of his companions on countless occasions. Now, he's got the updated Inspire condition, his shock and hand axe is a range one, two smash, two damage attack, and his charged pistol is fairly similar to everyone else's, three range, three fury, one damage, but unlike the rest of the warband, he just gains stagger. And I assume this is because he's eagle-eyed, he's really good at taking shots, and he's probably the best at firing his bolt storm pistol, which is why he just auto-staggers. Now, he also has the hunter keyword, and when he inspires, he goes to two block, and his shock hand axe goes to three damage. Now, Zach, I know you called dibs on Eagle Eye. What are your thoughts on him? I think he's great. I think he's obviously your second best fighter. I think he is undeniably better than Swiftblade. Getting that three damage on Inspire, getting that stagger all the time, just feel better in general. I don't know if you would say it's better or worse than Farstarter. They both have their ups and downs, but I think those are the two that you're really going to want to get Inspired more often than not. I really like the non-crit stagger. I think like everything I said about Farstrider having stagger is like doubled for Eagle Eye just because he makes your setup, he makes your setups very reliable. Just get a damage through with Eagle Eye. Now Farstrider can shoot and, you know, get a reroll to make him his like assuming on turn one, a lot of times what you're gonna want to do is get both Eagle Eye and Farstrider in range of somebody because the meta is very aggressive right now. Get them both up forward near the line. Eagle Eye shoots, staggers. Forest Rider shoots, gets another damage through. He's not inspired yet, so he doesn't get the Grievous, but you're getting two damage on whoever's in front if they don't run away and then charge with Eagle Eye, maybe into the staggered fighter, maybe into somebody else, and then charge with Forest Rider, maybe into the staggered fighter, maybe into somebody else. And, you know, you're just putting out a pretty solid amount of damage with rerolls, and rerolls cannot be understated in any tabletop game. So I, I think that's I think it's pretty good. He's he doubles his both utility and late game damage thanks to his three damage attack. And I think that is gonna make him a very variable threat, much like the leader. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I definitely think that having the stagger without being reliant on a crit is a very big deal. It's far more reliable. And I think especially while you're uninspired, he's probably your most important fighter to help drive everyone else's inspiration or at least getting value for their attacks with that stagger and then getting inspired to three damage also makes him really important i think each fighter like most stormcast warbands has their kind of niche that they're you know the matchup where they're best in but you know there's there's not really any matchup where having base three damage is bad or we're having three smash or grievous and range four for far strider is bad whereas eagle eye like you said he's kind of your worst fighter Two block is always nice, but but cleave may not ever be relevant if you're fighting against a, a dodge warband. So definitely, definitely excited to see Eagle Eye get some much needed respect and and get that stagger so he can help the whole warband hit harder or more reliably. Yeah, I can definitely see you actually opening up with Eagle Eye, staggering somebody, and then following in with Swiftblade or Farstrider to, you know, get their attacks off. I will say, don't sleep on cleave. You know, when a fighter goes on guard, you know, it reduces the efficacy of guard. And then, of course, you know, there are Stormcasts are very popular nowadays with Storm Coven, Curse Breakers. I mean, Cleave is Cleave is relevant and there are matchups where Swiftblade can be your MVP 
give him a great strength or something similar like that. You know, it's he'll be wild. out there wreaking just, some havoc. We just talked about a faction in the previous episode where you have a lot of two wound, one block fighters where Swift played in this core box or this starter set box at the very least will be very interesting. Maybe not in championship when you start to face like Ephilim and Gnarl Spirit and stuff like that. But against Sepulchral Guard in particular, I think that cleave will be very useful. But you could, yeah, it's it, like I, I would agree with George. It is matchup dependent. Sometimes it's never ever going to come up. But then when it does come up, it's like Sepulchral Guard, Exile, Dead. Dang, that is going to be a useful stat to have. Definitely. Like for, I said, niches. <laughs> that's right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of times where, like, I when I was playing Curse Breakers and you go into the mirror match and then you just tool up Erastus, right? Because it just makes them much harder to block. So I think in the situation, that is Swiftblade's role. And, you know, hopefully, maybe with more assassin support in the future, he can be more relevant. But yeah, completely agree with the hierarchy of things here, where Farstrider and Eagle Eye are probably your two best bets. With Eagle Eye being a great backup Voltron option if Farstrider goes down early. Now let's jump into the objectives here. So I guess, Zach, go ahead and read the objectives mm-hmm. and then I guess call out whomever you think should respond first. Sure. All right. Well, starting from the top, we've got Bolt of Azir. Score this in an end phase if one or more enemy leaders are out of action, one glory. Aman, you didn't get to really lead so much of the discussion in the last section, so why don't you start this one off? Yeah, I appreciate that. I think this is a bad card. And I think we've seen a lot of cards like this in the past where even killing the enemy leader off a surge is is not good. And while you could argue that an end phase version of that could be better because then the timing of it doesn't really impact you. You know, do you have the surge in your hand, et cetera, et cetera. I do think that leaders tend to be the most protected, the most powerful, and the most defensive fighters in warbands. And only getting one glory plus the one bounty for going through all that effort is probably not worth it. Yeah, I mean, probably you're going to kill the enemy leader of the course of the game, but I just think there's so much better end phase cards out there. So I'm going to rate this one pretty low. Yeah. George, you got any other thoughts? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. By and large, I, I mean, for an elite warband, I like that it's something that you could cycle into later when, you know, if, if you're tabled or you don't have anything you can do to score, you'll still score it. But it's definitely not a warband that I want to see doubling down on on trying to hunt down one particular fighter. I think the range lets you be kind of a little more opportunistic, and if you're being defensive, you don't want to have to chase into their their territory for that. So it's it's not great. It's okay for some warbands, but it's never you know an amazing objective, and I don't think it's especially amazing for far striders. I would agree on both fronts with what you guys are saying, and. No other notes, so we're going to jump into Flash of Light. Score this in an end phase if one or more friendly fighters are each in an edge hex in enemy territory. One glory. George, what's your thoughts on that one? Well, it's kind of a faction reprint of a universal card that has this for hunters. I think it's okay. I don't like that it pushes you into enemy territory, but that's, you know, from a championship perspective, I think there's better options. And Nemesis... I think it's great, and as we'll see, they have some tech to help them achieve this, so it's it's reasonable. It's also not a super exciting card. It's just, you know, you can do some positional stuff and, and take advantage of your range 3 and maybe get a glory, but it's it's not going to define a play style. Yeah, I agree. I think 
obviously, if you're playing more of a flexible or aggressive strategy, then this is definitely doable. I feel like just looking at the warband as a whole, you're going to be probably like passive flexy style of play here. And yeah, I think, I don't know if it synergizes with that particular play style, which is where I think is their strength at the moment. But yeah, by all means, this is completely doable if you're looking to play a little bit more aggro. Would you guys say that this, I mean, obviously we we don't want to spend triple the time on every single card, but do you think this gains or loses value as the formats change? Like, obviously in Championship you don't get, or in Nemesis you don't get, or the in Rivals you don't get a choice, in Nemesis you get a bit of a choice, in the Championship you get a lot of choice. Is this one that you just will never take in Championship and will sometimes take in Nemesis, or it'll be about the same for both of them, do you think? Just speaking for myself, I would never take this in Championship. I could see taking this in Nemesis if I'm, you know, committing to an aggressive strategy and I have less options. I'm not taking this in Championship either. I don't even know if I'm taking it in Nemesis, to be honest. Either of the two we've gone over thus far. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, let's see if the further objectives get any better. We've got Lightning Advance. Score this in an end phase if there are two or more surviving friendly fighters. And each of those fighters are in enemy territory, one glory. Aman kind of leaning into the same aggro sort of mindset. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I think the notes are the same for this one, to be honest. You know, like if you're looking to play a more aggressive strategy, then this is a great card for that. I think this card is actually the exact same as it was in the previous version of itself, except that the dual wording has been added. So it's been updated to modern times, if you will. But ultimately, it's just not something that I think is rewarding enough. Like if this was two glory, yeah, I would probably consider it. But you can tell that this is kind of like a blurring of the lines of this is a card that, again, encourages going into the enemy territory. But due to the updated inspiration, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And if anything, I think it's worse than the previous card because it requires two fighters to be alive. And... Not only that, if you have all three alive, but one is in your territory, you don't score it either. So it's it's even harder than the previous one. And as the game goes longer, it gets more difficult to achieve. So I don't, I really don't like this one. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's a little it's a little subpar. Next, we got Master of the Hunt Surge Duel. Score this immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action. If that was the second or subsequent successful attack action made by that fighter in the same phase and two or more of those actions had different range characteristics. George, how do you feel about that one? I want to like it. I really do, but I just can't because it requires two successful attacks. And yes, that's doable, and, and yes, that'll happen. And yes, this is already what you want to be trying to do to inspire, but it, this is relying on your dice going your way. And we've seen this surge before, and every time this surge is printed where you can miss those attacks or have a backup to score it, it's better. So this seems like Hexbane's due process without the, or just make four. And I just really don't like it because I could see, you know, you, you take a first attack, you hit, you charge, you miss the second, and then you're just out on scoring this. It's, it's just a little too dice sensitive for my taste. So I think that's totally fair. 100%. You're lying, you're relying more on the, sure, the, the dice, the randomness. I think there are ways in which you can kind of make it easier for you to score this, but you also can never control when your opponent just randomly quits you on one dice, even though you roll a bunch of dice that 
can make the attack more favorable for you. I am not as I'm not as harsh on it as George is right now. I really do think that this is something that I would put in a deck, if only because this is just encouraging the natural playstyle. It's effectively their inspire condition, right? Except you have to hit the attacks, which again is the caveat, it's a sticking point. But I'm not mad at it. And there was a card back in the day, I believe in Beastgrave, that was a end phase version of this card. And Forest Riders took it a lot. I played Forest Riders back then a little bit and I took it. And so it's nice to see a surge variant here. But maybe, Zach, you can be the tiebreaker. I mean, I like it for the same reasons you said. I like that it is in the game plan. You know, I think they've done a lot in recent years to take the Rivals decks and be like, this is our vision for the faction, and then build the Rivals deck around that. We've seen that with basically everything since Gnarlwood, at the very least, and some of the Nether Maze ones too. But realistically, Gnarlwood and Word Hollow, we've seen a lot of of this like very synchronized rivals deck design and it's clear that what they want for you to do is invade and make accurate attacks and when most of your fighters are rolling three dice or two dice smash all of which is pretty accurate i think this is like basically just what you want to do and it's likely to happen most turns not every turn i think there will definitely be times where this is in your hand and you whiff it but like especially once your guys are inspired i think you're pretty much always going to score this i think it's good and in terms of having a surge that doesn't require a kill, doesn't require any specific positioning, just requires you to hit with three dice attacks, I kind of like it. I, I think, I guess I'm higher on it. So we got a little bit of a split on that one, but let's move on to prime objective. Score this in an end phase. If a friendly fighter is holding the highest valued objective in enemy territory for one glory, Aman, you get a little smirk about this one. Look, I don't mean to be really negative about some of these cards, but they're asking a lot for one glory. If it was two glory, then I think it would be much better. But like, first of all, there's so much random randomness, RNG, in where the objectives are going to be placed. You know, like, what if your opponent has, you know, one, three, and five, and five happens to be in their back right corner, where like a little petitioner or the warden is just camping on it? the whole game. You're not getting there. I mean, you could, but is that a detriment to your game plan? Are you giving your opponent a free kill? Looking outside the starter box, it's the same issue, right? It's it's very difficult to do. It's just not worth it. It's, it's, it's yeah, I would never take it ever outside of Rivals, and I'm only taking it in Rivals because I have to. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that exact sentiment. It's uh, Even for two glory, it would be a lot of work, but it might be worth the risk, but it's you know, it, it's cool design-wise to try to make us care about the objective number, but it's it's too random, it's too uncontrollable, and I mean, even just hold an objective in enemy territory for one is like solid, but just okay, I think. So hold a particular one objective in enemy territory, and only that one will do, and you don't know which one it's going to be. Yeah, it's rivals only for me as well. No, I, I agree. So rather than belaboring the point, do you think this would have been playable as a two glory objective? And obviously this is all hypothetical, but just have a little talking point. I do personally, because there are cards that support you in the gambits, which can allow you to be aggressive and, 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 you know, move into enemy territory, deep into enemy territory. But even then, like, I would probably not take it after I 
just didn't work out a couple times, you know? Yeah. I, I think for Two Glory, it, it could be worth the extra effort to achieve it. And I will say that both for, for Champ and Nemesis, I have some preliminary brewing going with Pearson Fortress. So I could definitely see this having some synergy with like playing for Stockpile or playing for, oh, geez, just the shard caller to swap objective tokens or something funky. But even that's a bit meme for For Two Glory, though, especially in like Nemesis, you, you, I don't think it would be too bad. But for, for one, it's just so much work and you have to give up probably other glory to score it. Yeah, I think those are absolutely still fair points. It's just an awkward mechanic to design around because it's something you just have no control over. I guess you can, I guess like the dream scenario for this is like you have objective five and without, I mean, obviously it's not a great objective, but I just had the thought that if you have objective five or even four to an extent, depending on what your opponent does, if you have one of those high number of objectives and you just put it directly over the line in a place that's really easy to reach, this becomes almost trivial. Even well, though you don't, is, you still don't really want to stand on objectives, but you know, it, it becomes easier. You don't know what number objective you have when you're placing them. Yeah, you do. You look at them now. They changed that. I, I don't believe so. I think you still you look, look at them, at them when you're placing your cards or your objectives. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, the ones that you have, which yeah. means, you know, the ones your opponent has, but you don't know which number where, yeah, where they're are. putting their so stuff. If you have it, you could, but it's still, it's still yeah, not still iffy. That's a valid point. I mean. Looking at these objectives so far, like we're five in, right? Roughly halfway. And I just feel like they kind of got the, they're victims of the starter box concept, right? Starter boxes are designed for new players. And so these warbands are great. They're revamped for us, but for a brand new player, like they're supposed to teach them the fundamentals. So looking for objectives, understanding positioning, being here, being there, making attacks, making successful attacks. And I do think the Sepulchral Guard were an easier warband to, uh, to design or to update because it's just like hold objectives, hold more, do this, do that. Whereas the Farstriders, I think, got the got a little bit of hurt in that regard. And and so I think so far, not a very strong objective deck. Yeah, well, we like you said, we are only about halfway through. So let's take a look at the next one, which is a Surge. This is called Ranger Strike. Surge, score this immediately after your warband takes a second or subsequent enemy fighter out of action in the same phase for one glory. I think it is George's turn to go first. It's okay. I mean, it's it's about as win more as Master of the Hunt in that, you know, if you're killing two enemies, generally you, you need to be hitting two attacks. But I do like that it doesn't have to be from the same fighter. You know, and it doesn't care how you take them out of action. So... You could have a ping, you can hit two attacks of two different fighters. It's it's okay. I think I would take Master of the Hunt before I take Ranger Strike, generally, because as, as you guys pointed out, Master of the Hunt is exactly what we're already trying to do with our fighters. But depending on, on the build, and if I was taking you know, a substantial amount of pings or something, I would take Ranger Strike instead. It, it would kind of be dependent on the meta. If there's a lot of, you know, two wound fighters that are weaker, a lot of horde stuff, like against the Sepulchral Guard in the box, Ranger Strike might be kind of interesting because I just want to charge with two of my two damage attacks and, and quickly get two kills and score this. Yeah, that's valid. I think Ranger Strike was my favorite surge from them in the past. And that's because they were in an era where surges were quite hard to come by faction-wise. But I I don't know. I think back in the day, you could score this card by drawing into it 
even if you had already met the condition. But now the way it's worded is you can't. So I think the card did take a bit of a nerf in that regard. And yeah, getting two kills is very matchup dependent. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think it's going to be great in this box where you have a lot of petitioners to farm and the metagame dependent. I mean, Beastbound Assault, Exile Dead is still very popular. Ephilim's, Ephilim's Pandemonium, I mean... If any team is good at chipping down the changers, far striders are probably among them, so it's probably fine into them, but it's going to feel real bad when you draw it into Dominant Storm Coven. So very meta-dependent, very matchup-dependent. But yeah, we will step forward to the next one, which is called Stormforged Vanguard. Surge Duel, score this immediately after an activation step. If each surviving fighter has one or more move and or charge tokens, and each surviving friendly fighter is an enemy territory. One glory. Amon, how are you feeling about this one? Again, I feel like there's a crisis identity here where it's, we've changed the inspire, but it doesn't matter because we're still going to push you to go into enemy territory. And so I'm a little confused on the thematicism here. Granted, I think like if we're talking about actually being able to score this over the course of the game, late game is probably the best bet. You know, maybe you have less fighters. And then from there, you're able to kind of make sure that you're in the zone with a move or charge token. Yeah. In, in this card's favor, as you, you know, get later in the game and, and you lose fighters, it becomes easier to score. I think if you're playing to be very aggressive with them, this is probably the best aggressive surge we've seen just in terms of reliability. Because if you want to score it, you pretty much will score it. But even then in round one, it could be difficult. So I don't love this card. It's it's going to be fun if you want to just say, my guys are going forward. I don't like saying that personally a lot, but if you wanted to play aggro, it works. But if you're being even a little bit more flexible, this is pretty untenable because it doesn't let you have fighters in both territories and you may need to, to spread out and kind of not aggressively charge everyone forward. I definitely see, I definitely see those points. I'm kind of big on this. Like, I think if I'm going to play Forest Riders now, I personally will lean into the into enemy territory to the point where i might even just go tooth and claw with these guys even though tooth and claw doesn't really help their range their attack actions in fact some places can hinder it i don't know i think while aggressive ag- sorry aggressive aggro or invasive aggro while invasive aggro is a not <laughs> it's not really my play style i don't think it's particularly exciting play style i think you can lean into it and then this is kind of just a gimme if you do such a thing I agree it is really bad for basically every other type of playstyle. If you want to play defensively, if you want to play flexibly, if you want to, you know, bring something like maybe Toxic Terrors or Fearsome Fortress where you're not necessarily just diving headfirst in enemy territory, it's probably not that great, but I think you can, I think you could do it. And yeah, like you said, guys said it gets easier as it goes on, but we will look next at Swift Punishment. This is another surge. Surge scores immediately after a friendly leader's or assassin's attack action that takes an enemy fighter on an objective token out of action. That was quite a bit. So, George, how do you feel about that one? It's just too much. You know, it's already asking for a kill, which is kind of the upper bar of of what I'll look at for a one glory surge. And it's asking for a kill with a particular fighter on a position restricted enemy fighter. Will it happen in, in Rivals in the starter set? Like, yes, the Sepulchre Guard are going to stand on tokens, so you'll score it. But there's a lot of warbands that don't play to, you know, stand on tokens. And there's warbands that stand on tokens that are far, far away. And 
it's it might be a lot to ask to go out and kill that particular one and you can only do it with far strider or swift blade so there are games where they may not be in range of the right fighter or they're out of action and you just can't score it and i i just can't give it a pass for that it's it's not in my deck <laughs> yeah i think it's a difficult one to score yeah sure two-thirds of your warband can help you score it but i think it's the as george is saying the position of the enemy fighter is so crucial in scoring this that it's kind of hard to do you can tell that this was probably designed for the starter set in fact they had an older card called intervention which was the same thing but your leader had to do it and so i can see trying to stay true to the older version of the warband but also making it a little bit easier to score that being said i do think the current meta right now does incentivize a lot of standing on feature tokens so i don't necessarily think it's too bad but certainly there may be games where you play where your opponent doesn't give a damn and then you're kind of just sol from there yeah i i want to say that there's a number of standing on objective tokens right now at least in terms of nemesis delver's fortress beastbound salt to an extent and seismic whatever all require objectives to an extent and then there's even a little bit in Toxic Terrors. And actually, there's none in Tooth and Claw. And I don't think there's any Void Cursor else either. So it's about half. So yeah, it's just it's just too iffy, too niche. So we'll go on to Swift Work. Score this in an end phase if the number of enemy fighters out of action is greater than the round number, e.g. three or more in round two for two glory. Man, what's your feeling? This one's an interesting one for two glory. I don't mind it. It's it's important to note that as the game goes on, it scales in difficulty. So getting two kills in round one, great. You got it. Getting three kills in round two, sure. That's like a lot of other kill cards, right? Like, I believe Reapers, Crimson Court, Mad Mob all have cards that, you know, require you to have three or more enemy fighters out of action at some point in the game. So fine. Yeah, that works too. But getting... Four enemy fighters out of action in round three is very hard to do. It's not reliable. There are some warbands that don't even have four fighters in them. So how are you going to score it? So if you're going to go for this, I think you want to play very hard aggro. Take all the aggro cards that we're not really necessarily fans of. Go into enemy territory and hope that the dice are in your favor. Yeah, it's. I think it scales up too high as the, the game goes on. It's extremely matchup sensitive in terms of how viable it is to begin with and i think it's just a bit over the bar for where i would draw for an aggro objective like this i think kill two in round one is is already quite a big ask against anything but a horde warband and uh, three out of action you know for two glory in general is is really the the, the lower bound of playable for e even those aggro warbands you mentioned mad mob has a strictly better of this it's Three out of action or two are out and you have the primer, the primacy, which they have ways to get and you could get from one of those kills. So this just doesn't cut it. At least for me, it's I don't want to play them aggro to begin with. And even if I did, I think it's uh, it's something you end up discarding if you don't score it in round one. And if you don't draw it until round three, it's just sitting there bricking your hand. And I, I don't I'm not enthusiastic about that. Yeah, I'm not terribly high on it either. I think it's also important to note that like, even though we're like, oh, you know, this is so much easier against hordes, like most hordes or even like medium sized hordes have ways to 
resurrect fighters. Dead, Guard, even Pandemonium has a res, even at the Sea Elves, the Deep Sea Elves, whose name I'm blanking out right now, Soul Raid, they have a res mechanic. So like, not only is three or four difficult in general, like it could just be stopped. And then, like you guys said, some factions don't even have four fighters. And in fact, Storm Coven and Rippas are very popular nemesis and championship right now, and they're both three fighter warbands. So I just think it's just think it's too hard to do for the most part. It's it's like almost a win more card, but like not even a good win more card. So let's check out the Judgment of Sigmar. Surge, score this immediately after a friendly fighter's range three plus attack action takes the target out of action one glory. George, what's your feelings on that? It's solid if you are playing more defensively. It, it is a kill surge and it is, you know, a little bit harder than at first glance because you have to kill using your generally weaker attack action. But I think it does synergize with a couple cards we've, we will see later in the power deck. And if you're already planning on kind of whittling down enemies from a safer distance, you'll, you'll score this just by taking your shots. And they do have a number of ways to take range three attacks outside of activations in particular. So I, I quite like this one. And it is only asking for one kill. It is only asking for one kill, but I do think that it's going to require a bit more effort. Yeah, you know, you might find it in natural circumstances where ping a fighter, boom, you know, or you've already did damage to them and you're trying to finish them off with a range attack and, you know, inspire, etc. boom. But I really do think that you're going to have to invest some cards to help you do this. Obviously, Farsrider is your best bet. When he rolls a crit, he does an extra damage. When he's inspired, great. That can give you two damage at range. Personally, I think you're probably going to have to take Glory Seeker and or Fighters Ferocity here in order to kind of make this a bit more consistent. Yeah, I mean, Glory Seeker and Fighters Ferocity, I think, are auto-includes in Championship regardless. And there's not really much in... I'm thinking about Nemesis, as I usually do. Not really much in Nemesis to even boost range 3 plus attack actions in terms of damage. But, you know, I, I think that there is a world where you're just kind of sometimes sitting there turning off maybe three maybe even all four actions are range three attack actions and you know it's also easier against lower wound count warbands your leader already has grievous one i don't know i i like it i think it's i think it's good it's not amazing it doesn't wow me i think it's fine yeah i think it's fair second to last we've got veteran marksman this says surge score this immediately after a friendly fighters range three plus action that result resulted in a critical hit one glory aman what do you think about this final surge in the deck well they saved the best for last in my opinion and i love cards like these i know some people don't like them they can break your hand etc but it's just headshot from profiteers i loved profiteers Headshot was the first surge I put in every single deck. I also love Forest Riders, and Veteran Marksman is their first surge I'm going to put in every single deck. And on 3 Fury, you know, you're going to be critting roughly 44% of the time, which is much better than the Profiteers because they were rolling mostly to Smash. So very high on this card. I like it a lot. Very happy to see it. Yep, I agree with all that. Not a lot extra to say. It's a bit less than 44% once you factor in enemy defense dice, but but still, you're going to take buckets of, of range 3 attacks with these guys. And, you know, it's not that you should rely on getting a single crit on a single attack, but you will crit on one of them. And 
this is the type of RNG dependent that I'm okay with because you have the law of bigger numbers on your side with this one and you don't have to kill. It doesn't need anything else to happen. If this was kill and it's a crit, I would hate it. But it's just, just get a crit. So you could get this, just, just shoot from your starting hex round one, you happen to crit, and now you have glory to start your snowball. And you know later on, if you're trying to fish for it, well, how do you fish for it? You take lots of attack actions at range three, which you already wanted to do. And so you're already getting value even if you don't initially hit those. And it, it doesn't matter if you whiff two, as soon as you get that crit, you score it. And that's why I like it. Yeah, you both pretty much nailed it. I also want to note that Eagle Eye, due to his stagger not requiring a crit, also makes this easier, even if he just hits, even if you don't get the crit with him. You can first fish with it with him. If you get the crit, great. If you don't get the crit, but it goes through, now your next fighter is shooting at effectively four dice, which is very high chance at a crit. So yeah, it's. I think it's great. I, I agree. It's probably their best surge. Actually, not even probably the best surge. I think it's un, undeniably their best surge. And then last but not least, we have without equal. This is dual. Score this in an end phase. If two or more enemy fighters are out of action and your band holds one or more objectives for two glory. George, how do you feel about this last objective? Uh, I love it. I love this design. I think this is exactly the kind of, of flex hold aggro objective I would want to see, you know, across the warband. Because like, yes, you have to kill and yes, you have to hold and it asks you to do both. But normally path to victory can be, you know, difficult for a three fighter band because they lose two fighters and they can't score it. Or even if they only lose one fighter, it's difficult to put two fighters on tokens and still get that kill and be in the positions you need to be. I, I love that you can score this with one fighter and it doesn't care when those fighters were taken out of action. So yes, it's difficult in round one because killing two in round one, we already said was hard. But in round three, you can have your, you're down to your last guy or round two, you just have you know two guys left and one of them can just run on the token at the very end and score this because you've already gotten your kills. And I think that's really, really solid. Yeah, I'm going to echo that entirely. I think it's a great design, you know, very inverted, as you mentioned, path to victory. But it's it's pretty good. You are probably going to have a fighter on an objective and then being able to, you know, bring the fight to the enemy or counter charge or do whatever it is you need to do to take out those fighters. It's pretty solid. And the killing part of the objective synergizes with the deck. There's a lot of kill stuff in the deck as a whole. And so you are a little dice dependent here, but I do like that. This is very, very doable and gets easier in theory as the game goes on. So big fan. Yeah, I would echo those sentiments as well. It's a good card. It's a good one to finish on. So let's talk a little bit holistically about this objective deck. I think a lot of people have said both on shows and off shows that the objectives are the weakest part of this warband and kind of based on our commentary it kind of sounds like that is the thing not only are not a lot of these cards if i can continue to be a negative nancy for a little bit not only are a lot of these cards not fantastic but i think it's also interesting to note that this is also only a 14 glory objective deck there's only two cards in here that are two glory which is kind of low especially by today's standards are you do you guys like do you feel that this objective deck will hold them back or do you think that their stats and kind of mechanics and as we'll talk about later their power cards will kind of make up for this potentially on the weaker side objective deck? Yeah, I think when designing a warband, 
you always really have to think about where you want them to be the strongest and where you want them to be not so strong or average. And the ideal situation is at the very worst, they're average in one of the categories, whether it's fighter cards, objectives, gambits, upgrades, etc. But in this situation, I do agree that the objective warband is their weakest link. I do think that it is a great shout out that only two of their cards are two glory. They don't even have like that big end phase three glory card like a lot of warbands have and are designed with nowadays. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's like an identity crisis that this warband is experiencing. Like there are some really cool ideas here. You know, veteran marksman without equal. Awesome, awesome objectives that, you know, we're just gushing over. And if they had just shared that experience throughout the objective deck, I think you would have people more receptive to it. it, it again, it just feels like similar to the Spoko Guard, right? There's going to be a lot of comparisons to Spoko Guard. The Spoko Guard have always been a hold objective warband. And so you're going to continue to build upon that play style. And yeah, sure, it's kind of easier to kind of make those cards better because there's a bunch of cards in the past that have worked and have not worked. But with here, like you can tell that they were trying to like make an ode and stay true to the previous iteration of the warband, but it just doesn't translate well because of the fact that you have all of these aggressive cards that are low reward, high risk. If their objective or their inspiration, excuse me, was the new inspiration and the old inspiration, then yeah, I can see a lot of this making sense because then at one point you are incentivized to go into enemy territory because you're going to guarantee that inspire at some point like you previously did. But because they chose to change it completely and barely buff the fighters, I think we were just expecting a little bit more. I, I don't think it's bad because it makes sense, but yeah, it's, it is the weakest part of their kit. And I do think it holds them back. Maybe not in Nemesis, but certainly in Championship. You're going to have to dig deep into that universal pool. Yeah. That's pretty much my thoughts. I would just add the low ceiling by itself would not be as much of a problem for me as they are only giving up three bounty if they had more safe glory. But almost all of their end phase and almost all of their surges say, go in enemy territory, go get yourself where you can get hit. And that is, you know, and, and roll dice. And that's not a recipe for reliably getting glory to outscore your opponent on the attrition of, well, I can kill five of you and you can only kill three of me. I mean, and five is a lot to ask. I'm just as an example. So yeah, I think that definitely the objectives are the weakest part of this deck and definitely the objectives can hold them back a bit. I, I see some potential in Nemesis though, and I, I do see some potential in Championship. I think I'm going to disagree with you. I think the championship pool is actually a little more helpful for them than Nemesis because there are so many more objectives in champ to pick from. But it definitely would feel nicer if they had a couple more objectives in their faction that said, build around me or just look how much I define how you play. You know, there's a lot of warbands that have just even that one faction objective, but it's so in tune with their theme and their play style and it's so solid that you look at the warband and you expect that objective and, and it's kind of a good moment that you see that one coming and they don't really have that the same way yeah i completely agree i mean i think it's so weird man because it's like stormcasts are always really hit or miss in this game right and you can tell that games workshop still hasn't really figured it out yet because they either make them too strong or at least oppressive to a certain extent or they end up not being strong enough. And I get the appeal of putting a Stormcast Warband in a core box, in a starter box, because 
that's Age of Sigmar, right? It's, they're the Space Marines of Age of Sigmar. They're the most recognizable. That gold and blue. It looks cool too. They look awesome. But I do feel like they consistently bear the brunt of trying to teach new players how to play and they get sa- their mechanics and their cards get sacrificed. And so unfortunately, yeah, they're just not a good objective deck. But I do think there's enough here that you could make work, right? You got veteran marksmen. You have Without Weakle, you have the Judgment of Sigmar, and Ranger Strike, if you if you want to take it, Master of the Hunt. So there's stuff there, but you're probably right, George, in that the Universal Pool will probably give them a lot more. Yeah, those are good sentiments. Well, with that, we've kind of belabored the objective deck a little bit. So, George, how about you walk us through the gambits and, and read some of these out for us? Before we do that, though, we do need to pick our favorites. Oh, yes, that is true. So... So let's go with Amon first. You get to pick your favorite. Very easy. Veteran Marksman. And George, how about you? Without equal. Without a doubt. Ah, man, that that leaves me with not any great ones. No, uh, I'm actually going to go with Judgment of Sigmar. I I like the shooting. I like being a ranged boy. I was a big Profiteers guy, so I will take Judgment. And I think those are the three that we all kind of expected to be the favorites. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, all right, let's get into the gambits. The first one is called Etheric Paths. Choose a friendly fighter in an edge hex and more than one hex from each enemy fighter. Place that fighter in another edge hex. Give that fighter one charge token. Aman, why don't you start us off? I really like that they included this card because I think Hidden Paths is such a defining card from the Shadespire Nightvolt timeline. And I loved using Hidden Paths with this Warband. And this is a weaker version of Hidden Paths. If you joined the game in Beast Grave, then this would be, or Dire Chasm, I guess this would be Beast Trail equivalent. So I, 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 I like it. I, I just don't know if it just stands the test of time is really where I'm at. I wonder if it's just better to take something that allows you to push, maybe. I mean, there is obviously synergy with the card that wants you to be in Edge Hexes, Flash of Light. But I don't know. I think it's okay. All right. I, I, I quite like it just because, I mean, I think we all knew how good Hidden Paths was and Beast Trail. I'm not actually too bothered by having to take a charge token. This is a three model warband, and we do now have the rule that you can still activate as long as everyone has a charge token. So you can charge two fighters, teleport the third fighter, and then still have two activations to keep shooting or potentially keep punching if you are happen to be close enough. The... While the charge token is a downside, the capability to threaten a backline is always going to be important. Ephilim likes to hide. You know, Stormcoven will occasionally run a model away. Dentalos loves to hide. There's a lot of the Warden in the New Sepulchral Guard, which I think is going to be very common and very powerful. The Warden wants to hide. Even if you're just setting up for you're using this in your final power step and you're setting up for next turn and just crossing half the map in a single bound. I think the mechanic of teleportation that is kind of sort of rangeless is is really, really good. And I think you will find a lot of use for this card in general. Yeah, I just want to quickly say I, I agree with all of that. I, I love this card. I loved Hidden Paths. I do want to disagree on one small point. I don't think this is weaker than Hidden Paths. I think... Zach already touched on why the charge token is is less of a drawback than it might seem at first. But additionally, and this is a big change for me, at least, that I think is better, hidden paths you could not use if you had a move or a charge token. 
but this doesn't care about that. You just have to be more than you have to be more than one hex from enemies. So you can charge with this and then reposition. So this has a lot more uses that you can run away with this if you're denying glory, or you can charge, 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 and then reposition for another attack afterwards. And I, I just think that, you know, you can control your positioning relative to opponents a lot more easily than you can control, I think, not having a move or a charge token at, you know, later in the round. And I think that's just really, really good. I think that's a great shout out, actually. I didn't catch that because in my mind, I was still thinking hidden paths where you had to set up that way, but you absolutely can charge onto an edge hex, shoot, and then reposition and shoot or even punch in a later situation. That's really good. Yeah. Exciting. The gambits have me fired up about this warband again. I'm glad we're done with the objectives. Moving on. Next up, we have Ceaseless Volley. Choose a friendly fighter. Push the chosen fighter one hex. Plus one dice to that fighter's range three plus attack actions in the next activation step. Zach, why don't you start us off? Yeah, this is a great card. Sidestep is great. It also doesn't say towards an enemy or anything like that, which a lot of modern faction sidesteps have. A lot of them are like, towards the nearest feature token, towards no man's land, towards the nearest enemy, that sort of thing. This is just sidestep with an upside. It's sidestep plus determined effort, both of which are good cards and we see a lot of versions of. Now it's determined effort only in, you know, the range gun, but that's good because that's helping you score veteran marksman. You're getting an extra dice. That's helping you score judgment of Sigmar if the enemy is weak enough for it. That's helping you get that stagger and potentially that blinding attack out from your leader. So I think this is just all around good card, hyper flexible, hyper strong. Yep. Very well summarized, Zach. Sidestep's great. Determined effort is nice. You don't even have to use it to get the bonus on the attack. You can just use it as a sidestep. The bonus there is only there if you choose to make a range three attack action. And one thing to note is that it doesn't have to be the bolt storm attack. It could be any range three attack action. So if you're planning on putting two ranged upgrades on them so that they can inspire because the two attacks have different names, then this can benefit either or range three attack action. Yeah, I have nothing to add. It's a, it's a good card, and I like it. Fearsome Roar. Choose an enemy fighter adjacent to one or more friendly fighters. Push the chosen fighter one hex. Amon. Yeah, so this one is... So I get the fact that they didn't change it, which is fine. I get the fact that distractions are very powerful and they don't want distraction to exist anymore, which is fine. I do think that it is a very, very limited card. I think the way that you would best want to use this is maybe, you know, you're trying to get someone off an objective, you go in for the attack, you fail, you don't even get the tie. This allows you to shove somebody off. I can also see this going in where you maybe charge into two enemy fighters push one off an objective token and then maybe push one away so that the rebuttal that you get is not too bad. I mean, someone could maybe charge up to you. You can just push them away so that they can't keep whacking on you. So it's not a bad card. There are uses there. I'm just really confused as to why they made hypnotic. They made terrifying screams into hypnotic buzz, but they didn't make fearsome roar into hypnotic buzz. I think it would have just been cool for them to have that same level of parody. And like a roar is loud. Like, you can hear a roar. You don't have to yell in someone's face for them to push away, you know? So, I just think it's fine. Yeah, I almost feel like this is more of a anti-aggro card than, like, a disruption card. Like, the big thing about distraction is that it was always disruption. 
you're always like pushing somebody on the other side of the map off or like you were just repositioning whenever you felt like it and terrifying screams is kind of a weaker version of that. This is almost like, hey, my opponent's trying to set up for support on an attack. I will deny the support. My opponent is, you know, pushed me off an objective and then moved on to the objective. I will push them off the objective that they have moved on to. I rarely see myself just like diving in to use this in an aggressive manner. And because of that, I'm not crazy about it, but enemy pushes are enemy pushes. I feel like you're probably going to end up with it in your deck just because the mechanic of moving an enemy model without having to roll dice is good, even if it's not the best version of it. So it's fine. I'm just not crazy about it. Yeah, I'm I'm very negative on this one. I think the only time I would use it is rivals. And the only real use I can see for it in rivals is to make sure I can get off that etheric paths by pushing someone away and then playing it. But that's a, a big ask. So we, we all agree it's it's a bit meh. Next up, Lightning Blow. Plus one damage to the first attack action made by a friendly fighter in the next activation step. And I will say I love the art on this card. To everyone who's, you know, at home, look it up. It's, I think it's gorgeous. Eagle Eye at his best. Amon. It's actually not Eagle Eye. It's Swift Blade because it's a sword. Yeah, Eagle Eye has the axe. I said Eagle Eye, I meant Swift Blade. But <laughs> yes, thank you for correcting me. I'm thinking Eagle, Swift Blade. I mixed them up in my head. That's a long time. Zach, why don't you start? Can I start on the oh, last sure. I like this card. I mean, this has always been a solid staple. I mean, it is, it's a card with a chance for failure because you could miss right? It's not plus one damage until a successful attack is made. It's not plus one damage for the rest of the round, whatever. There's a chance you can miss, but like, I think when you're ready to, pl- if this card is in your hand, you're going to set up when you're like most ready to use it. You've got a support on the target. The target is staggered. Then you pop this or like, you know, you're, you, you get plus one dice or you have a card in your hand that allows you to remake an attack or something. I guess the remake attack doesn't do it, but like you have some sort of base re-roll mechanic available to you. But plus one damage is good. It's rangeless, so you can get it on that those ranged attack actions. I think it's I think it's just a good card, and you'll probably just end up having it, even if it occasionally fails. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I used to not like these cards at all back in the day, and then Dire Chasm, particularly Vampires, taught me that if you have decent enough attack actions and you just want to go for some early attacks that can really help you win a game then these are great and you can also just wait until eagle eye is inspired who's swinging at three damage play this and eagle eye can potentially do four damage and one shot somebody maybe in conjunction with using you know some sort of other plus one dice so i like it i'm a fan i think you're probably gonna play it yeah nothing to add there you guys summed it up all right merciless assault Reaction. Play this after a friendly fighter's successful range 1 attack action. That fighter makes a range 3 plus attack action. And now I'm on first. For sure. Yeah, this is a great card. I really like it. Yes, sure, the range 1 attack action has to be successful, but it makes sense. It's a merciless assault. You know, it's a 1-2 punch. But there's just so many benefits here. Number 1, you make that first attack action. If it hits, you react. You make your ranged three attack action, boom, your fighter's inspired. Number two, it's a great way to finish off a fighter. Maybe you're hitting them for three or hitting them for two, and they have one wound left. Well, great. Now this allows you to score some of your kill cards, like Judgment of Sigmar, right? So there's a lot of benefit. There's a lot of synergy here. It works really well. I just love out of eight 
out of activation attacks. And this is a great card. Yeah, it's basically also, it's not guarantee inspire yourself because as you say, the range one has to succeed. There's a reasonable chance it fails. But like a lot of the time, this is going to be play card, inspire fighter, maybe get that extra damage. Even just threatening, like you could think of it as like a pseudo ping, right? Just like charge in, hit for two, and then card shoot, hit for another one. This one, in my mind, is a little bit like lightning blow. These are sources of surprise one damage that aren't pink cards. Yes, they are attacks. Yes, they require dice to be successful, whatever. But like anytime you could be like, oh, you think you're safe because I'm not going to one shot you surprise. I'm going to one shot you anytime you can do that. I think it's a good card. So and of course, the synergy with the inspiration is wonderful. So I think this is a fantastic, fantastic addition. Yeah, I agree completely. I think requiring the success on it kind of makes it more balanced. It does, you know, add a, a hefty caveat to this card, but the upside and the synergies, they're there. And, you know, it rewards you being ballsy with that round one charge. And the, it also rewards you being smart and just waiting for your moment to take that extra damage, like you said. So I think it's, it's a really fun card and it's going to upset a lot of people when it comes out at the moment they don't want it to come out. Yeah, and I think it's good that you said balancing the fact that it needs to be successful. If this was just after your range one, make an attack, you know, and it was just like auto inspire, it was just like auto remake an extra attack, that would probably be way, way too good. And it'd probably get restricted if we're being honest. Maybe not if the warband's not super powerful, but like it would be a candidate for a restricted card. Yep, it it, it probably would. Uh, I don't know, uh, man, not with these objectives. Yeah, maybe. It would still be at a very high bar. Yeah, it would be like an like S tier card for sure. Yeah. It's still A tier, I in, in my opinion. But oh, I love it. Yeah. Moving on to an old favorite, Rangers Advanced. Choose up to two friendly fighters and push each chosen fighter one hex. Zach, what do you think? Double sidestep. I love it. It's so good. It's so flexible. I need to look at my old version of the card. It's unchanged. It's unchanged. It, actually, it's it's improved. The yeah, old version, you had to choose two. Yeah, I was going to say. you can choose just one. The old version actually was a dead card if you only had one fighter left. So it's even better now. That's fair. But yes, it was amazing before. It was an auto-include before. It's amazing now. It's an auto-include now. There's, there's nothing more to say. This is such a good card. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Put in your deck. <laughs> yeah, every, every you, deck, every time. You, the listener, put it in <laughs> your deck right now. This is the double push you are looking for you know like you see those like memes or i don't know if it's instagram reels or tiktoks where it's like that swole viking looking dude he's like go to the gym go to the gym right now in this instance it's put these like put this in your deck now yeah something like that yeah all right next up rapid volley reaction play this after a friendly fighter's range three plus attack action that fighter makes a range three plus attack action that targets the same fighter i'm on yeah, oldie, but a goodie. I like it. It's a great card. Allows you to get two damage off, potentially, by getting by chaining two attacks. It's also an insurance card, because if you miss your first attack, well, if you don't try it first, you can try again. That's not how that light go. That's not how that quote goes. If at first you don't succeed, you can indeed try again. And it's really cool, because the way that they worded this card in Merciless Assault, you can actually get a range on attack in, play Merciless Assault, and then you could Rapid Volley. So there's a really cool chain sequence here that I really like. It's awesome. 
you should take it. Yeah, this was one of the defining cards for this faction in the original deck, and I think it'll remain a defining card. I think it's nice to see these the power cards that kind of, if not kept Farstriders relevant, at least kept them interesting, and we're seeing them return. And Rapid Volley is just, I lo- I'd love this card then, I love it now. And if you have other range 3 plus stack actions, like there is one in the upgrade deck, native to Farstriders, and there are some pretty other good one, good other ones in Universals right now, you can actually shoot with your on-card one, play Rapid Volley, shoot with your upgraded range three attack action, and that actually, even though they're the same range, counts for inspiring you. So it's another it's another way to get an auto-inspire out there, so I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's something I really like about this card. I also like that they did change it ever so slightly from its original version. This is, I think, a really good, subtle tune-up for it. The original card, you had to make a Boltstorm pistol attack action. And now you can make any range 3 attack action. And then you can follow up with a different range 3 attack action. And I think that's just fantastic. You can do this with the bird, and the bird can get angry twice on somebody, or you can take an upgrade. It's, it's a fantastic card, and I, I like the change. And we're, we're hitting another oldie but goodie that I think everyone is going to be happy to see again, except when it's across the table from you. Retribution. Reaction. Play this after an enemy fighter's attack action that dealt damage to a friendly fighter. That friendly fighter makes one attack action. It must target the attacker. I forget who went first last. Zach can go right. first. Okay. Retribution. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's... Arguably, this is kind of a hard one to use sometimes just because like a lot of times if somebody charges you, you kind of want to use your better melee profile to hit them back. But if they push you back, you're forced into using your gun. But that's okay. Your guns are fine. And we've seen that there's lots of ways to use it. You can retribution, shoot, and then rapid volley. You can, if they don't push you, you can retribution. (laughs) Actually, because of the wording, you can retribution, merciless assault, rapid volley ceaseless volley. I know you can't cease this volley off of it, but you know, you can, you can chain these reactions into one another. It's a, it's a very, very nice card to have for that reason. And I think like, like Amon said with merciless assault, anytime you can make out of action, out of activation or out of sequence attacks, it's always good. Even if it's not the best thing to do, or you like hold it for the best thing to do, it's just, it's just very good. Yeah, it's it's my turn, right? So you just got to survive the attack, which is the only caveat. But, you know, in Rivals and Nemesis, you should be able to more often than not. Championship is where the lines get blurred a little bit, and you probably want to have this earlier in your hand than later. But as as Zach said, right, the, the chain sequence is amazing. Retribution into Merciless Assault into Rapid Volley, which is great. Yeah, taking taking three attacks because your opponent took one could feel pretty good, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do like that in a way that's pretty different from a lot of more recently designed cards like this, you can drive the attacker back with this, which might not seem like it would matter because, hey, they already hit you. But from a nemesis perspective, this can drive Ripa back before they can bite you. And I think that is a very important thing. Yeah, Clacktrock too, right? Yeah. I like it. All right, we come to the last of the gambits. We have two more. We didn't talk about Raptor Strike. You're right. I went out of order because I'm a silly, silly person. <laughs> well, then let's go back to, I think, probably everyone's favorite from the original cards. Raptor Strike. Thank you for pointing that out. 
Choose an enemy fighter within four hexes of a friendly leader. Deal one damage to the chosen fighter. And yeah, hit it. Yeah, not much to say. It's an amazing card. Range for unlimited ping is amazing. It has to be within your friendly leader. So the only thing that you have to consider is, you know, your leader could die and then you draw this and this could be a dead card. But outside of that, great, great, great card. I mean, yeah, this is the OG ping card. Interestingly, I'm surprised this doesn't have a restricted leader. So it's one of the few unsalvageable cards with a restriction for your leader being alive in the game, which is probably fine. I mean, it's good enough that you're going to include it anyway. But like, I was just thinking that given how much they've been putting that on, you know, various cards and stuff, I I thought they would re-add it here. But yeah, it's a range four ping, man. You're going to take it. It's so good. Yeah, I wonder if they're ever going to make a card that allows you to make your another fighter your leader if your leader's dead, right? Well, that does exist, but not for everyone. Just a couple warbands have that. Well, just Kagra right now. Right, yeah, I was saying more of like a universal card. That would be you could see it in a rivals deck at some point. Maybe we'll see maybe we'll see leaders reprinted as a rivals deck. Oof. I would love that. I'd be pretty psyched about that too. Spicy. That would make Moloch and Hrothkorn too good though. Uh, it would depend on you know, they could just slap a whole lot of large restriction in there, and then all us Canaan enjoyers would be very sad. Yeah, they, they reprint leader, make everything large restricted, and just Malaga goes in a corner and cries. Yeah, but he got Beastbound Assault, so it's okay. All right, now the actual last card, which I kind of wish I had still switched it up because I would have liked to end on Raptor Strike. Warning cry. Choose a friendly fighter. Give the chosen fighter one guard token. What do you think, Zach? It's fine. I tend to like guard cards. I mean, in the, every time we talk about these, I'm like high on them because I like guard as a mechanic. This is a two block warband. Two guard is really solid. And Warning Cry also like has some soft synergy with retribution. Like you can't be driven back. So they come in, they punch you. You probably don't take damage because you're two block on guard. And then you hit him with a, well, if you don't take damage, you can't do retribution. But even if you like, like either you don't take damage or you do take damage and you hit them with retribution because they can't drive you away. I think it's fine. I think often it will get cut because guard for a card is not necessarily good enough. But if you are playing Fearsome Fortress, there's other guard synergies there. So like maybe you do bring it. So, but it's it's kind of up in the air. It's fine. I, I like guard more than most people, so I assume you guys will probably not like it as much as me. But I I like it. No, I think you're right in that it's fine. It works great with Fearsome Fortress. It works great with some of the Order Grand Alliance cards as well, because they gave Order Grand Alliance a lot of guard stuff. I don't think it's bad. I think it can help you actually score that objective without equal, because it can make sure that you don't get driven back off the objective, right? So there's some use cases. They're not exciting use cases. Yeah, I I love guard, but I think that one guard for, for one card is kind of a bar that we've we've passed, uh, you know, in a meta without change of tactics, and in a meta where we have other access to to multiple guard cards, this feels like a card I wish they would have given some of the design that they gave to Zandire. Like Zandire has some cool stuff that that puts everyone everyone holding or everyone in enemy territory gets a guard. And as much as I've been negative on the promote, you know, aggressive play with them, I think. Something like like that, like like choose one of them or two that are in enemy territory and put them on guard, j- just to give it a little more value, a little bit more, you know, flex capability. Because I can't see myself ever fitting this in championship. 
it's it's fine. You know, I'm I'm not calling it bad. Getting guard is good, and and if you want to be, you know, a little bit pedantic, a guard is still an activation's worth of of power from a card, but it's you know one of the weakest sort of activations you could take. So, grain of salt there. It it's just not as exciting as it could have been, I think, compared to some of the other guard cards we've seen printed recently that get a little more interesting with how you get the guard or, or how many fighters get the guard. Well, that does it for the Gambit cards. George, which one's your favorite? Oh, it'll have to be Retribution. Oldie but a goodie. Zach, what about you? God, I love this power deck. I'm going to actually go with Etheric Pets. I like that they brought back Hidden Paths and given it to them. And like I said, I think the utility is just top tier. For sure. I'm going to go with Ceaseless Volley. I like that one a lot. Good card. Sidesteps are great, and I like accuracy. So, George, I know that you didn't get to elaborate much on the Gambit deck as a whole, but Zach and you both seem very high on it. I'm obviously high on it as well. Do you think the Gambit deck makes up for the weak objectives? I think it goes a long way, especially in you know, a nemesis setting where everyone's going to be a bit constrained, hopefully, on their objectives. I certainly think that in a nemesis setting, you will struggle to fit whatever's from your chosen rivals deck and the good stuff in this deck, because uh, this deck is a, a 9 out of 10, <laughs> you know, good gambits to me. So I, I, if it makes up for it in nemesis, I think so. And in championship, I don't think it needs to make up for it as much because we have a good pool of end phases for them right now and there's at least a you know they, they may struggle a little in the surges but the the gambits are very good at supporting the tougher surges that we've seen from them that need you to make you know lots of range three attacks or or successful attacks we have some accuracy we have just rolling a bucket of dice you're gonna you're gonna land some stuff yeah great summary zach anything to add no i think that's a really good summary and though i to the initial question of doesn't make up for the objective deck I generally think objective decks are more important when it comes to evaluating the overall power of a warband, but it really depends on the format you're looking at, and it really depends on what the rest of the faction does in terms of like their mechanics and their fighter stats and stuff. I think it does make some headway towards making up for the objective deck, but like you need some help from whatever format cards are available to you. But yeah, I agree. Like, There's not a stinker in here. None of these cards are like, eh, it's bad. They're all at least playable, if not good. For sure. Yeah, I think the weakest link I think we could all agree upon is probably either Fearsome Roar or Warning Cry, depending on your preference. Yeah, and even those are like... Fine. Fine. Yeah. You could argue that they could be great in other warbands, so... Well, I think the interesting thing is, like, if either of those... If either of these were print, Well, I guess Warning Cry was printed in Shadespire, and it was already one of their better gambits. If they printed, because Fearsome Roar is different. It was also in there. Was it? Yeah. Mm. Okay, never mind. I, I retract my point. But yeah, it whatever. It's a good deck. Awesome. Well, it has been retracted, and now we will jump to the upgrades. So the first one here is going to be Aetheric Step. It's restricted to Farstrider. This fighter has the flying trait. George. It's, it's hard to get too excited about this. It's not that flying is bad. But it's only for one fighter, and, you know, I, I just don't see yourself needing flying all that often. Yeah. Yeah, fly is such a, 
it's such a weird niche thing. It's like when you get it for free, it's amazing. You never want to pay for it though. I mean, move four fly is good. He goes to move four inspired. He's got a ranged thing. You can like use it to position really aggressively and really well, but like they're already so good at positioning that you just don't need it. Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing, Zach. Flying is awesome when it's free, but when you have to pay for it, meh. So with that, we'll move on to covering fire. When an enemy fighter within three hexes of this fighter targets another friendly fighter, this fighter supports that fighter. Zach, what do we think? I th- I'm of two minds on this because as a defensive card, I don't think it's really good because like, like if you were playing, when I say defensive card, like if you're playing defensively, if I'm playing in my territory, I'm trying to get my opponent to come to me. It's a it's pretty hard to set up, like to force these zones. Like you can kind of do it, but they're going to, it's very telegraphed. I think where actually shines is in the more aggressive style of play that we've been talking about. If you charge two fighters into enemy territory and they're like more or less side by side with each other, they're basically, you know, this one's always supporting the other. And I think that's okay. I just don't know if supporting like additional defensive supports is worth a slot. I think the effect is fine, but it is, it's competing with some pretty good upgrades in various universal cards that we'll see in championship and nemesis. So. I think it's good. I think it's fine. You'll probably use it in Nemesis, maybe, but it never makes cut championship for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough. I wish it gave something to the fighter it was actually on, as well as uh, to fighters, you know, within three hexes of them that are targeted by an enemy within, sorry, that are targeted by an enemy within three hexes of them. It's just, it's not a bad defensive upgrade, like you said. I would like it a lot more if it also meant that they gave offensive supports to friendly fighters targeting enemies within three hexes of them. I feel like then it would be, I mean, maybe too good, but, you know, very, very solid. I think like this, there's an argument for it in championship because of loyal allies, but I think there's better ways to proc loyal allies. So it's, uh, it's, it's a B for me. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually kind of like this one. And, and loyal allies was one of the reasons why. But, you know, it's a, the three hex is pretty solid. I mean... You know, if you've got two block and you can count supports, that's pretty good. You know, you're pretty much succeeding on most dice faces here. If you throw that on cover as well, then you're only really failing on dodge. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if someone has cleave, then maybe it helps your fighter's survivability a little bit. I don't know. I like it. And I think you're right that it's a B. It's not a very strong card, but it certainly... I certainly don't mind it. We're going to jump next to Crackling Blade here. This fighter's range one attack actions have Crit, Grievous One, and Stagger. Zach? It should be George going first. So George, why don't you talk about this one? It's okay. I mean, it's uh, it's a solid Nemesis card. I'll give it that. I think right now we're in an era where Fighter's Ferocity has an R on it for championships. So that makes this quite a bit more appealing. The fact that it doesn't do anything for their range three attacks hurts a bit and you know really you you only want to be putting this on swift blade or inspired far strider i think because because grievous on a two dice attack is is just it's not worth the glory but uh, the stagger is nice too and uh, it's solid i i don't know i don't think i would play it in championship i think i would rather take more stuff to support their range three attacks in championship but 
for Nemesis, I would slot this in because I think this is as close to, you know, faction great strength as GW wanted them to get. And that's, uh, it's hard enough to access damage in Nemesis that I think they'll be hungry for it. And in a pinch, you'll still put it on the eagle eye and, you know, try to find a way to get some extra dice on him or something and see if you can crit someone to death. Yeah, I agree. It's, it, it's definitely not great strength and it's about as close as we're going to get to it. Like you said. I think any time you can get a source of damage, just because we have less sort of great strength equivalents in the game at the moment, or at least less that are like kind of ubiquitous, there's a number that have like restrictions on them or are they come with some sort of downside. This is just like, it's not quite great strength, but it is with an upside because it has that stagger. I do like that it has some synergy with like merciless assault, that is. Where like, okay, Crackling Blade, now your melee is better and it has stagger. You can kind of charge in, get something through, get a reroll for the follow-up shooting attack. Maybe you stagger or maybe you crit with your melee and now you can like even set up a a one-turn kill where you didn't have it before. So I think it's good and I think you'll probably end up running it just because it is another source of damage. But it's not like exciting, if that makes sense. Agreed. I think this is a great card for Nemesis because... George is right. It's as close as you're going to get to a faction. Great strength. Championship is a different beast altogether, but I could see a case for you taking it there as well. And I completely agree that the two fighters you want to put this on are Swiftblade and Farstrider Inspired. We're going to jump now to Farsighted. Plus one range. This fighter's range three attack actions. Now it's Zach. It's fine. I mean, you can make your, you can make Farstrider a range five shooter. That's pretty funny. But like, does range, Range matters until it doesn't, right? It's like having extra, having range is good. Having too much range is overkill and doesn't mean anything. You're either in range or you're not. And the difference between range two and three is huge. The difference, in my opinion, between range three and four, if you are being aggressive and moving towards the enemy, is negligible. Range four is great if you want to sit back and shoot. But as, we, as we've already seen, their objectives don't really want you to do that. And even their power cards don't really want you to do that. So it's kind of a pass for me. Yeah, I, as the, you know, proponent for the filthy sit back and shoot people to death play style, I, I still don't love this. It's, it's quite nice, but as you said, range is a bit of a binary, you know, qualifier there. It's nice to have extra threat range and it's really nice when you are able to keep people in that magical zone where they're in range of you, but you're not in range of them. But as the game goes on, that's, it's hard to maintain that zone. And, uh, you know, plus one range may not do a ton for you there. Even trying to play defensively where I would really benefit from this range, I would rather take something like Duelist Speed that would help me create more distance after an attack so I'm safe from getting hit back or something that actually improves, you know, the throughput of my attacks or, or just makes, you know, my fighter have better stats. I think that... It's it's just a bit too niche for what you'd want it to do on one card. It's if it gave something besides the range, I would like it a lot more. But it's it's just not quite enough for a card slot in my upgrade deck. Agreed. I think I can appreciate the range for, but it's certainly not needed. So we'll just move on to the next one. Hail of Bolts. This fighter's range three plus attack actions have ensnared George. Ensnare is another one of those things that's just not worth a card slot by itself you know obviously it has a, a philosophical niche the same as cleave but it's about half as good as cleave because you know cutting someone's 
dodge dice is less of a nerf to them than than cutting their block dice, block faces of their dice rather. And uh, yeah, the bar for this is it needs to give something besides ensnare, or I'm not taking it. So you know, hexbane gets a whole plus one dice as well as ensnare, and and obviously everyone takes that right away. That would be a bit broken here, just like it is there. But I, I would have loved to see this give just a, a smidge of something else even if it was just a parallel of the later one we'll see with the the weapon upgrade that has cleave what if it was cleave and ensnare i would take that if it was cleave and ensnare i would take that and if it was like overcharged bolt storm pistol but with ensnare and and you know similarly going to three hammers i would i would take that too but ensnare by itself not a chance what about you zach i feel like this and farsighted should have been on the same card if it was plus one range and ensnare and it was like this is what you use for sniping people, and it also has flexibility into cutting down, you know, like ghosts and elves and that sort of thing. Yeah, it'd been a more flexible card. They're both like half good cards. Yeah, I think you're right. They definitely could have been just both on far sided. It yeah. makes sense too. Like you can ensnare because you're seeing ahead or seeing really far. I don't know. Some your like people eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they were on the same card, it would be a, a much more greater than the sum of its parts kind of proposition for sure because it is you know a single card slot that solves two problems for you in one card but each of these is solving one problem that i have other better ways to solve that also do other things in my card slots fair enough well let's jump to incredible stamina reaction before this fighter's activation remove one mover stagger token from this fighter you can only use this ability once per round zach this is nice it's kind of like half of a potion of grace. Removing stagger doesn't seem like a lot. I think if it was just you could remove stagger, I think it would be bad. But the fact that you have the flexibility to remove the move token or remove the stagger token, you don't, on a, a three model warband, you don't really want to just be moving all that often. But sometimes when you have to, it's good. And sometimes your opponent will throw a move token on you with something like ill-fated or ill-prepared, whatever the one is from Toxic Terrors. They can just give you a move token. You can just take away a move token. Cool. And sometimes your opponent will try to set up stagger and you can remove stagger. That's also pretty cool. I think it loses value just because it's like, it's not as broadly powerful as some other upgrades you'll take. So like Nemesis Championship, it'll probably start to get cut. But I think at least for part of Nemesis, the effect is flexible and good enough that you'll probably find some use for it. Yeah, I, I think taking off a move token is, is pretty cool. Similarly, I don't see myself taking stagger off with this all that much, especially when I have, you know, options for guard synergy or, or just going on guard if I really, really don't want to be staggered. The timing on it's a, a little interesting and weird, but it, it's pretty cool. I see you know, some potential combos with it. I'm not sure it'll make the cut. I'll have to test a bit, but I think even a, but definitely a nemesis and even in champ, it, it could be useful to be able to move and then, you know, take this off and charge. I think that's a pretty powerful, you know, sequence that we see like Elethane doing in round one that we used to see Molog doing and really being able to, if you're playing aggro and you want to play for, I'm going to reach that guy way all the way over there and murder him in particular this card can let you do that. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. I mean, the shenanigans that you're probably referencing is like, you know, throw this in the power set before your turn on a moved fighter. Now that fighter can, who your opponent previously thought may not have been able to charge, can now charge, which is pretty cool. 
but though they should maybe expect that given the fact that they know you have this card in your faction but i like it i agree i like the design of it it's pretty cool next one is lone warrior rolls of half supports or successes in this fighter's defense rolls george i really like this card i mean every time we see an effect like this it's a pretty good one i i like that this is a more consistent you know sort of thing than covering fire it's kind of interesting that they have that interplay where you could put this on the fighter that has covering fire and now you know if your warband's all close to each other everyone has single supports on defense i like it more just because i can guarantee that the fighter i want to be safer gets it rather than the hypothetical you know case where multiple fighters are getting it i like that when i come down to just one fighter i can put this on them and and they're benefiting whereas covering fire kind of decreases in value as your warband goes out of action yeah i would definitely agree i think it like it's weird to compare it to covering fire in the same deck and it, you're right that is very cool that you can kind of put them together and be like "Ooh, we're all effectively three up armor in terms of dice which is kind of cool but i think it's just so much more consistent i, I mean i think lone warriors and auto include just because it is such a solid defensive upgrade that you're basically always going to take it, and I will, I can see myself cutting Covering Fire, and I can never see myself cutting Lone Warrior is the difference for me. Yeah, fair. I like this card a lot. It is interesting because I do feel like it is doing what, you know, you both have mentioned Covering Fire now. I feel like it's doing the same thing, but obviously it's better. I guess, I don't know, it seems just like a bit of redundancy there, but yeah, I like this card. It's probably one of their better upgrades, and it's a reason why it didn't really change. It actually got better because you used to not have to be a have to not be adjacent to other friendly fighters. So if you got like if you were clustering up, Lone Warrior did nothing, which was mm. kind of niche because you have range three in your small model count warband, so you weren't often next to each other. But yeah, it is slightly better. Awesome. Well, let's jump to another old or a familiar face rather is Overcharged Bold Storm Pistol. It's an attack action upgrade. That is a range three, three smash, one damage attack with cleave. What do we think about this one, Zach? Oh, I love this card. This is great. I mean, it's a hyper accurate ranged attack. Yeah, you lose the stagger. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But three hammers with cleave at range is like, it's, it's the closest thing you can get to guaranteed hitting for the most part. And that's good. And it'll synergize with everything else in this deck that synergizes with the range three stuff. Like we talked about synergizing with Merciless Assault, like we talked about re-synergizing with Rapid Volley. It's very accurate, so you could use it with Lightning Blow to get that, make it two damage, especially if you're facing somebody with block. It's just, a, it's just really, really, really good. Yeah, not, not a lot to say. I love this card too. It was one of my favorites back in the day, and it, it still is. It's, uh, it's rare for an attack action upgrade to be so substantially better to, you know, an elite Warband's, you know, baseline attack, but it's it's extremely good and i think the the best way to look at it is it's an accuracy upgrade for your fighters like would i take an upgrade that says your swords are hammers now and gain cleave yes yes i would so that's what this is with the fringe benefit that you can inspire with this if you if it comes down early you you put this down and rapid volley inspires you if you're willing to you know take one not cleave attack or you you have it later and it just means that Everything we've said that we're like, you have to hit your range three attacks. This is going to hit. I mean, way more often than not, it's, it's going to hit. And there's, there's, yeah, I'm talking too much for something. It's just simple and it's good. It's a yeah. long way to say yes. 
Exactly. Nothing to add here. Another card I loved playing and will continue to enjoy it moving forward. So let's jump to Swift Stride. Plus two move. George. It's a solid card. I think that movement is something we undervalue pretty consistently. This is a warband with, you know, three range. So it's easy to kind of say we don't need it as much. And ironically, I do think they need move substantially less now than they did previously because there's at least in championship a lot less pressure for them to need to actually get into enemy territory to inspire i can inspire happily from my own zone but in nemesis i think you take this because you have a lot of stuff that's going to want you to get to a particular place or reach enemy territory and i i think that extra movement is a little bit different from range in that you it's hard to really have too much. And at the point at which you have too much, you still have options that range doesn't necessarily give you in terms of denying glory to your opponent by running away. And that's something I think every three-fighter warband has to, to plan on as part of their endgame is either I'm Voltroned up and I can murder or I'm going to run away to save that last glory point and still score as much as I can. And this helps you do that. It's interesting that you've taken that perspective. I don't necessarily disagree i think you've made some good points but my initial thought is that the warband's reach is already good enough well, oftentimes when i see plus move cards it's because the faction is slow or the plus move is just like so insanely powerful like that you're just going to take it anyway like the new sepulchral guard one that just gives everybody plus one move for the entire round that one's very scary this one doesn't like i don't feel as it is as impactful you're already all threat range six solid you are already move three except for your leader who goes to four which is like perfectly standard move speed you're not trying to bump anybody up from two you're not all only range one so you do have that threat range even if your melee isn't in range we already talked about how flying isn't that important i would argue that plus two move on a ploy it feels good because you can kind of like surprise slap it out there on an upgrade, I often feel like I put it on somebody and then it just like doesn't get used. And I'm like, ah, I wish this would have been an upgrade that like gives me combat or I wish this is an upgrade that would have like given me defenses instead of being this plus two move that I don't need this entire game. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too negative on it, but it's not. I think you bad. are a little bit. I think I am probably. I think you are. I think plus two move is awesome. I think three move fighters going to five move is great. I think a four move fighter like Firestarter going to six is awesome. And you're right. I think you both kind of made the point where the range may offset the efficacy of this card. But think about it, right? Like maybe you're playing a little bit more passive and then maybe you realize that you need to be the aggressor. This can help you get to an aggressive position. Maybe you need to run away to ensure the win. I mean, there's so many things that you can do with this card that I really like. And do I think you're going to always take it? No, probably not. But I think it's worth, I think it's worth the upgrade slot. And to me, that means it's a decently good card. Yeah, I, I just wanted to quickly add a big reason to consider the plus two move. And I know I've, I've harped on about the range three attacks, but this you can look at it as a plus two range buff to your, your range one if you really need to deliver that bigger damage. Like, like, like Eagle Eye dropping three damage from five hexes away suddenly is very potent. Yeah, I think that's fair. Indeed. Well, good discussion on that card. And now we're off to our last card. Watchful advance. Reaction after this fighter's activation in which this fighter made one or more move actions, give this fighter one guard token. I absolutely love this card. 
as I said before, I love guard actions. It's just like, it's so, it's so nice. You know, you can, it makes being aggressive less scary, especially if you're like, it's like turn one, you shoot, you charge, like say turn one, you shoot, you get a crit, you score a, a veteran marksman, then you charge in and you like upgrade with this, you charge in, you get the attack, you inspire, you watch full advance to like get yourself blocked. It just like, it feels so nice because you are going to be moving, you are going to be charging and having guard for free multiple times per game feels very, very powerful. So I really like this card. Yeah, I, I love it. Free guard is good. Free guard after you move or charge, even better. It does have a kind of cool synergy with incredible stamina if you wanted that move charge, because this is not once per game. So you can move, get the guard, and then your next activation, get rid of the move token, charge. Charge gets rid of your guard token, but then you get it right back. That's just awesome to have that one fighter say, I'm coming there, I'm going to move, I'm going to charge, I'm getting there, and I'm safe the whole way. Yeah, I think that is absolutely worth talking about if you want to do a deep dive. Also, if you make the barge action, this negates the, the stagger you get for making the barge action. You're never going to make the barge action. This is a joke. I <laughs> encourage you to ne- just rip barge out of your book. Anyway, good card, good card. I'm a big fan. I like it a lot. I think for all the reasons you guys said, I think it's... Do we think it's an auto-include? I do. I think it always gets considered. And I think there's a high chance it always makes it. But I think there is also a world in which you find something better because it's it's good. It's great for all the reasons we've said. But a lot of times, upgrades want to be either aggressive or like always defensive. And this is not necessarily always on guard, especially if you're standing still and shooting. So it's not like, S tier, but it is A tier. And until you get to the point in championship where there are 10 S tier objectives, it'll probably be an auto include. But we all know that like late season championship can get a little bit silly. So then it probably won't make the cut. That's fair. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I definitely think it's better in a more aggressive version of the deck for sure. But I do like it a lot. And I do agree that while you may not use it often when you do use it, it's probably worth it, especially when you're inspired. I will just plug my favorite nemesis pairing that I'm I'm still brewing. I'm not sure it's the best yet, but this is a Before great way to score Earthworks. Before we jump into... Sorry. No, no, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to score Earthworks for sure. We're definitely going to talk about the rivals decks that best work for the Warband. But before we do that, I think it would be great to talk about your favorite cards. So, Zach, why don't we talk about your favorite upgrade in this set? Oh, I like... I'm actually going to go with Crackling Blade. I just like that it is, it's solid. It's like, it's not exciting, but it's like, it's like a good pair of boots. You're not excited to have them around, but like, they're always there for you. You know, it's really interesting that you say Crackling Blade, because I think I like it a lot too. I just didn't think you were going to pick it though, but I'm glad you did. I'll leave, the, you, George? I'll leave the easy options up for you guys. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to pick the, the Overcharged Boltstorm Pistol. I'm sorry if I'm snacking that away from you, but it's been a favorite of mine for a long time. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a long favorite of mine as well. I actually won my first Shade Glass with Far Striders, so they are... I think it says on the Path to Glory website they're still my favorite Warband, so I'm going to have to fight you on these, George. But uh, I will go with... 
I like incredible stamina. I like the fact that you can remove the move token. Maybe do like a move, remove, charge. I'm a fan. So, overall, I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on this upgrade deck as a whole. Obviously, it's not as strong as the gambits, but it's not as weak as the objectives. Where do we think it lands? I think it's an interesting one because it's a lot of utility. This is not, you know, one of the reasons that I think Gnarl Spirit Pack, in addition to just their really good stats, one of the reasons they were very dominant is that their upgrade deck was just like a lot of, there's a lot of do stuff. It was like great strength, great fortitude, you know, get free stuff, do extra things like plus one wizard level, like stuff that is just immediately impactful and then always impactful from that moment on. A lot of this is utility and it's like, if you use these upgrades right, it's going to be really, really powerful, but not all of them have an immediate and sustaining impact. So it's interesting. And I think there's some really, really good cards in here. You'll just have to use them right. What about you, George? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're quite spot on in saying that it's, it's providing utility. I would have liked to see, you know, maybe a little more accuracy in there, maybe a little more damage. And most of it is, is kind of, we got some movement tech, we got some speed, we got one damage upgrade, only really one upgrade I'd call accuracy, and then some stuff to help their mobility. And it's not necessarily the most obviously powerful stuff, and it's certainly less impactful than wounds or damage, but I think it's solid and it does play to their biggest strength, which has always been kind of that positional advantage of their range and being able to outmaneuver people. So it's, it's very flavorful and I think it does supplement, you know, their ranged play style, whether defensively or offensively. So it's, it's decent, you know, I, I'm not going to take a ton of these upgrades in champ, but I'll, I won't feel bad about this upgrade deck when I'm trying to build nemesis decks. Well, let's talk about that. What, what, what upgrades are we taking in championship? Let's run through this very quickly. Aetheric step. No. Covering fire. Are we going to take that in championship? That's a no for me. Yeah, same. Zach. Probably not. No. No. Okay. Crackling Blade. Yes. I think this is a maybe for me. Yes for you, Zach? I think it's a yes that's for a, me. That's a no for me because I would take like Darkening Stone and the Grievous in cover package and maybe Glory Seeker, maybe Fit Fighter's Ferocity. I'd have to look at the other R's. But right now, Crackling Blade's a no for me in champ because I could already take Great Strength and Glory Seeker. For sure. Farsighted is going to be a no. Halo Boat's going to be a no. Incredible Stamina. Probably too maybe. much. Is it a maybe? Because I feel like there's so much competition in championship. Yeah, it's it's a maybe. I want to fit it. I don't know if I would. Yeah, definitely a maybe. Champ. Maybe on my end as well. Okay. Okay. Lone Warrior. Probably, yes. That, that's, a, that's a definite. Uh, yeah, that, that's an always take. Bold Storm Pistol, yes. Yeah, it's in. Mm, probably. Swift Stride, maybe. Probably. Maybe. Watchful Advance, maybe. Yeah, I think I, I think stride, advance, and stamina are all kind of in that like utility slot. And right now I'm it's it's advance before stamina before stride in this meta for me. But it would depend on the, the plot deck also. Yeah. Like it, like advance gets a lot of, of mileage if I'm playing with Fortress. If I'm not, stamina maybe goes up a notch. It really depends on what your defensive options are and what and how much you because like right there's there's always a split in your objective deck or your upgrade deck like how much of this is increasing my kill power how much of this is increasing my sustainability 
And if you're leaning more towards the latter and you're taking a lot of sustainability cards, watchful advance gains a lot of value. But if you're leaning more towards aggression and your upgrades dealing damage, like Fighters Frosty, Great Strength, etc., etc., the few defensive upgrades you have to take are just going to be the best ones. And I don't know if Watchful Advance is ever going to be the best defensive upgrade you can take. Hmm. So maybe. That, maybe. I don't know. That's interesting. That's a really interesting to think about, actually. Well, we'll let the listeners think about what they want to do. And you let us know which order or which preference you have for those cards that we discussed here. But anywho, that's going to be the end of the Forest Riders here. I think we've talked about them in their pieces as a whole, you know, strong gambits, decent upgrades, weak objectives, and the fighters are overall fairly decent as well. Where do we think this warband is going to land in the meta, and what Nemesis decks do we think you're going to apply with them, let's say in both the Nemesis and Championship formats? I guess, Zach, we'll start with you. You can talk, take the lead on Nemesis. George can supplement that, and then we'll have Georgia lead Championship. Yeah, I think George has talked about, I think we know what deck he's going to discuss a little bit in his section. I, I mentioned it before, but I really feel like there's some call here to lean into Tooth and Claw a little bit. Just really home in on the invasive aggro type of thing. Be like, hey, we're four wound fighters. We are two block when we inspire. We're just going to come at you. And we're just going to have, you know, they've got a, they've got Crackling Blade for some damage output. They've got you know, just lone warrior for some defensive prowess. I think just getting everybody in there and get stagger tokens, like you can get into enemy territory with etheric paths and then that gives you charge token. Now you're savage because you have the charge token and that's going to confer some bonuses. I think, I think there is some synergy despite it being really more of a range one deck and not really synergizing with their guns. I think tooth and claw might be a pick for them. I certainly don't disagree. Actually, I've I've brewed a bit. I could see Tooth and Claw in Nemesis. I could see it in Champ. I could even see Tooth and Claw supporting a more passive build with them because it does synergize defensively if you want to take, say, Embrace Savagery as a Surge combined with Sudden Revelation and Toyed With, which seems counterintuitive at first, but if you're going to be taking a lot of range 3 attacks and whittling people down and taking a couple pings, people are going to be vulnerable. You make a range 3 you know, and, and you'll take that surge pretty safely. And then you can still take, you know, veteran marksman, maybe judgment of Sigmar, maybe surging darkness or something, probably not surging darkness defensively, but you have enough options that you could even forego contest of equals and preserve those precious restricted slots for, you know, healing potion, dark command, whatever it may be. So I, I definitely see the tooth and claw synergy and appeal. And that may ultimately be the, the optimal route in champ as well as nemesis. But I am very excited to kind of lean into stagger synergies with them a little bit, or at least positional play with slight stagger sub-theme in Fearsome Fortress for Nemesis and maybe for Champ, but probably not. But they have just enough guard tech that I think I could play them in Fortress and kind of half aggro, you know, try to grab those tokens closer to No Man, sit back a bit, but I'm going to deploy on the line, take my range three attacks, try to inspire early. Now I'm on a token, Earthworks is a good surge for me. Impregnable defenses is a good surge when I'm going to two block and bringing guard tech. Lethal defenses is fine if I'm fighting you in the middle already. And then I can take my range three attack action package. And I think that the fortress end phases kind of supplement the parts of the far striders faction end phase. I like at the very least, like without equal becomes 
very good if I'm already saying, well, I want to try to play for maybe Conquered Domain, maybe, you know, Siege Master, Siege Breaker, I mean, maybe Stockpile, and, you know, kind of play a little bit more around. I have range, I can sit on tokens for a bit. So that's something I want to play with more. I haven't had a chance to really have a lot of games. I was winding down with the Vassal League, and I have a Nemesis event coming up in a couple weeks, so I'm still undecided if I'll bring Far Striders or if I'm going to do something a little interesting with Voidcursed and Sons of Elmore and Org or Chosen. We'll find out. Well, that's exciting. We wish you the best of luck on your upcoming Nemesis event. I'm really curious on how these guys are going to perform, and I'm really hoping that people are able to get over weaker objective deck. And I think you're right, George, and you've said this multiple times now, the spot is going to be championship. And I think, unfortunately, North America is kind of dominated by the Nemesis format right now. And I don't know if these guys are going to necessarily shine in Nemesis. I think Tooth and Claw was probably my best here. I think maybe Daring Delvers, right? Because you got the Quick Roots as well. Maybe you can just kind of line up on the pings. There is also some strategy that synergizes with going into enemy territory. I also kind of like Toxic Terrors. Yeah, Toxics are good. Good call. More push twos, more better. I'm not, I'm actually not crazy about Toxic because I think if you're, if you're going Toxic, you're taking almost the entire Toxic objective deck, mostly to replace the Far Striders kind of weak one. And that objective deck really only works if you also take most of the Toxic Terrors power deck because you kind of need the poison synergies. And I think you'll want to take most of these gambits. Like, I don't think I want to, like, yeah, there's, there's kind of a couple. The two stinkers we talked about are probably going to be replaced by freezing potion or freezing poison and maybe ill-fated, but those two poisons are not enough to run the objectives off of. So I think it would end up being a little bit awkward and you'd end up having to really rely on the poison upgrades to make it work. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not as hot on toxic terrors personally. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, sorry. No, you got it, George. I, I do disagree a little bit there. I think you can absolutely, you know, kind of pick and choose from Toxic for the uh, the stuff that doesn't need as much poison support from the gambits. And that would be, you know, stuff like Carve a Path. Well, taking two attacks with Farstrider is already what I want to do. I don't have to go into enemy territory for the extra glory. I just can do that. Same for Mass Poisoning. Taking two successful attacks is already what, you know, Master of the Hunt wants me to do. But now I can get two glory for it. And uh, you do have to be a little bit greedier on your surges, but it has you know, some some options in the end phase that I think are more flexible. And I think if you want to forego the poison gambits, you could. And the two gambits from Toxic I would take with them are no safe ground and keep the forest at bay because those are both incredibly powerful positional gambits and no safe ground giving, you know, a stagger when you want it on an opponent so you can really, really hit them is, is powerful. And as good as we just said the Far Strider upgrades are, I think they're not so great that I wouldn't mind tossing five of them out to fit five poison upgrades and uh, and go from there. And I'd have a great strength effect that way as well as Crackling Blade. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just don't think it's as consistent as some of the other decks might offer is is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I'll have to test it more before I can make a definitive statement. For sure. I definitely think you could make it work, but yeah, Zach, I'm, I'm sure you're right in that it makes it tight on deck building. Well, before we jump down any more rabbit holes, anything else we want to add about this warband? Paint them, play them. They're great models. I love them. They look awesome. Yeah, I, I think they're 
I mean, they're great minis. They're some of my favorite minis. I, I was a Stormcast player in Age Sigmar. I love eight Stormcast models. I've got them all right up over there. Still need to paint my Storm Coven to match the rest of them, but that is upcoming. They're in the queue, so to speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting them out. And I know there's some locals in my area who played Farstarters a lot, and they'll be very excited to get them back on the table. Well, awesome. I am certainly excited to get them back on the table myself. I know George is. Sounds like Zach, you might be experimenting a little bit as well. I know it's hard to move away from the Storm Coven and the Pandemonium. And honestly, even Headsman's Curse and Sepulchral Guard are looking really exciting. But hey, it's a great time to play Underworlds. A lot of options, a lot of opportunity. So have fun with it. Have a good time. And don't forget, sometimes you need to overcharge that bolt pistol. So with that being said... We're going to jump to our outro here. So once again, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join our patrons, you could do so at patreon.com slash paththeglory. You can find all of our blog content on paththeglorypodcast.com. Our written content is now being headed by Baconborn, aka Mark. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at Path the Glory Podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever podcatcher of your choice, please rate and subscribe. Those five-star ratings really help. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. <laughs>